Carrie Berg joins In the Calm. Carrie is a 20-year-old author, journalist, celebrity influencer, actor, and activist. She began her writing career at 10 years old with her first co-authored series. Carrie now has 21 books to her name. In this episode, we're diving into her latest book and her most personal, My Real Life Rom-Com, a smart and witty retelling of Carrie's dating adventures filled with her dating stories as well as dating tips. Carrie has written for Newsweek, New York Post, Huff Post, and has been a red carpet correspondent for New York Fashion Week, the Radio Disney Awards, and the Teen Choice Awards. She has grown her social media to over 100 million engagements monthly across platforms, all while finishing high school during the pandemic and now is in university. I love sitting down with people and hearing about the journey that they take as they live their lives and follow their dreams. And as we all know and have seen now, sometimes it looks like someone's life is complete perfection, that they have it all. But as we draw back the curtain, we realize that everyone has their own struggles, their own journey. In this episode, Carrie and I get vulnerable. We dive deep into exploring Carrie's evolution of dating, healing, overcoming mental struggles that she's actually now an advocate with other groups for overcoming her heartbreaks and the scrutiny of death threats, even in the public eye after leaving a TV reality show. Join in as we look at this beautiful journey of growth, healing, mental health advocacy, and discovery of the most important relationship you'll ever have in your life, the one with yourself. Let's dive in. Welcome to In The Calm. I'm your host, Georgiana Alexander. Welcome. So excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. You're the author of the new book, My Real Life Rom-Com. It's such a smart read. So helpful. And I wish that there had been a book around in my time of growing up that covered some of these topics. I can't wait to dive into that with you. But congratulations. You are a 20 year old journalist, influencer, author, actor and activist. You wrote your first book when you were under 10 years old. And now you've authored 21 books authored and co authored, which is just incredible. And then some of those became a series and one even an off-Broadway musical that you starred in. I'm just going to keep going through your list of accolades here because it is so impressive. You're an influencer now with 100 million engagements monthly across platforms. That has to be a lot of eyes and energy on you. I can't wait to dive into more on that. But you've written for Newsweek, New York Post, HuffPost, so many others, and have been a red carpet correspondent for Radio Disney Awards, Teen Choice, New York Fashion Week, and it just doesn't stop there. You've done a reality TV show, and you're also an advocate for mental health and bullying. I mean, I feel like I need to take a breath and just like breathe that in. That is just such accomplishment, especially so early on in your life. Thank you. Thank you so much. Before we dive into some questions I have about your journey, do you know your human design and astrology? So I'm not a big astrology girl, but I'm a Sagittarius. So okay. I think that means I like adventure, maybe. <laughs> yes. 
Yes, that would be correct. Okay, great. So then I'm guessing if you don't know your astrology, you probably don't know your human design. We just love to talk about human design on this show. And I love to give reference for everyone listening. If I had to guess, I would say generator because you have all this energy to create and do and a real drive to do. So that's what I would guess. You'll have to let us know if that ever comes across your path and you check that out. You're from New York. You're born into a family of high achievers. I would say your mom was a celebrity ghostwriter and screenwriter. So do you feel like that that drive and that ambition came naturally or was that creative aspiration something that built over time as you got a taste of it? I think it was a combination of both. So when I was young, I would watch my mom type away at her computer, just super inspired by her and everything she was doing. And when I started learning about writing for myself in elementary school, I really took it into my own. And I think over time, I've developed my own voice as a writer. All the children's books that I've written have been co-authored with my mom. But I think as I have reached my young adulthood, I really wanted to step into my own as a writer and a journalist because the type of writing I do is different than what she does. I'm not necessarily focused on celebrity ghostwriting. I love fashion journalism, like features journalism. That's really where my heart is in writing. That's incredible that you had a role model like that to look up to and also then the sort of confidence within yourself and that permission slip to go for what you really wanted. You've talked about you graduated high school during the pandemic, during COVID and lockdown and that isolation. Do you feel like that that is really where your mental health story and advocacy began? I know you've talked about that's where your influencer story began. Yeah, and that is absolutely where I think my mental health story began. I think it was always kind of bubbling up, but my life was so busy. I didn't really have a chance to focus on my mental health. I was kind of just surface level okay all the time. Mm -hmm. But during the pandemic, I kind of had the time to go deep inside my thoughts and really think like, am I okay right now? And as you mentioned, I was the class of 2020. I had no prom, no graduation. So reality was I wasn't okay. And that was kind of like my trigger for my whole mental health journey. So from there, I experienced like my first anxiety symptoms, my first panic attack that I've ever had in my life. And it took a long time to want to go seek help because of the stigma out there with mental health. There aren't really enough teenagers talking about their experiences in detail with mental health. And that's really what I did in this book. You know, the last chapter of my book is dedicated to my mental health and my anxiety journey for the first time. So it was really important to me because you see out there people saying mental health matters and that we should go to therapy. But what do we mean when we say mental health matters? Why are people going to therapy? So it was important to me to really go into detail about what it feels like when you're going through anxiety and panic attacks and your fingers and your toes. That's kind of what's missing right now. I mean, you can look it up on Google, you can read about symptoms, but I really wanted to, when I was going through it, I wanted to hear someone my age that I could relate to and kind of level with, but I didn't have that. So once I had the strength to really step out and talk about my own story, I wanted to step into that role. I think that's incredible that you're sharing that as a voice for other peers and those younger than you as well. And adults, you know, maybe the parents reading the books, because I feel like that time period was really unprecedented. It really shone light on 
all the things underneath as a culture and as a society that really, as you said, been kind of moving along. And then when everyone was forced in isolation, it brought it all up into our faces. And even with someone who had none of that underlying going on, it's just not normal to be in those circumstances. It's not normal to be under that level of unknown for that length of time period. And so I think it's really brave to voice that and to give a place for people to really evaluate things in their own life. Because you know, when you look at Google, you're either dying or it doesn't relate. You know, you're like, I don't know, is that me? Is it not? Like, it's really overwhelming. And so it's really incredible to give that voice and actualization for your generation. You've talked about that this is where your influencer career really began and took off as well. Did that really play a part as well with the mental health, like 100 million engagements monthly? Something I've thought about over time and talked to with other influencers and other friends, that's a lot on your nervous system to regulate. And you've had you know death threats and bullying online. Like, How did that feel for you? growing something that was natural and creative and organic for you and then also culminating like this need for a conversation around mental health i think in early stages it actually helped me a lot because when i was going through my mental health struggles it gave me something to focus on and something that i was familiar with when everything seems out of control in your head you're just looking for some sense of control in your life like something to control So for me, that was social media. It was getting up every morning and filming, you know, 10 videos and posting them and getting this really high engagement during the pandemic. Like that was my constant and it kept me going. I think when it started to affect my mental health poorly is when I did start receiving those death threats and that negative attention. And I think that comes naturally as you grow your following. But it was really hard for me in particular because someone who's going through mental health like doesn't want to hear like the words like die in their DMs over and over again. It's just extremely like triggering and difficult to deal with. And you kind of have to learn to desensitize yourself to those words and like realize where they're coming from. And back then those words held so much power. And now I look back on them. Like I still have the screenshots in my camera roll. I look back on it and I see like some of these messages came from like a 12 year old girl. A 12-year-old girl. I was like, going to not- ask you, like, where that, was it bots? Does that mean, like, that much hate has to be, like, yeah, to take into account really, where they are coming from? It was so, like, random. Like, one of them was from, like, a 12-year-old girl who probably just, like, has something else going on at home. And it's like, really sad that, like, that can come out of a young person's mouth. Another one came from a mother with twins, which was really sad. That one, like, really bothered my mom when that happened. So you kind of just have to consider the source. I mean, back then, all I saw were words and words that really hurt and words that affected my mental health. But I think now I look back on it and I've experienced it a lot, which is a good and a bad thing because Mm -hmm. like it sucks, obviously, to go through that. But I'm like desensitized to it now. So whenever I get like a hate message, it stings for a second and then it like floats over my head because I realized the words really mean nothing. That's like, as you've said, good and bad, right? Like, it's beautiful that you've learned how to kind of cope with that. That is something that even I know with people growing into their social media invisibility, that's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to know that you're stepping into that environment because now we know so much more about on the other side of what that growth looks like. But then stepping into what you want creatively, having to find that balance of creative, of visibility, of obviously growing a business and growing your opportunities, but then having to deal with that other negative 
side of things. And I'm sure with your experience of being in the off-Broadway musical and being an actress and then going on the reality TV show, that has got to all be under kind of one roof. Like I'm sure book tours, you don't get people in real life coming up to you with death threats. And so it's got to be a very interesting dynamic to be in those different worlds. Yeah, you say like you don't get people coming up to you in person, like giving you death threats. That's because people are scared. Like people... I would, I would hope so. I wouldn't, you know, yeah. like I would hope you would never get an in-person death threat. Right. Like there, people hide from behind a screen and it's like easy for them to say whatever they want. And it's, it's so like cowardly almost. Once I kind of like rose above it, I was able to look back at it and laugh and just be like, oh, how pathetic is it that you are wasting your time today hating on an 18 year old girl? Like, that's just really sad. Mm -hmm. So I think back to your question with acting, I was really lucky. I think I had like a really great support system in the acting world. The reality show was really hard. I had a chapter all about it in my book with reality TV. Obviously a lot of more eyes are on you an entirely new audience. I went into that. I thought it was going to be like a really fun time bonding with other creators. But what I didn't realize is that reality TV is positioned to bring out the most extreme version of yourself. And a lot of things are just fake and manufactured and kind of planned out ahead of time. And I found myself playing a character and not playing myself. And that was really difficult because people at home were not judging me. They were judging me based on situations that were unnatural situations that were thrown at me. Mm -hmm. And what I talk about in that chapter in my book is what it was like on that show behind closed doors. Obviously, this is a book about love and dating. So I talk about like my potential love interest on the show and how I was treated like garbage, but nobody saw that, but from behind the scenes, because they were just viewing me as the villain the whole time. They didn't see me like closing the door and like ripping GoPros off my wall. So people wouldn't see me crying every night. It was just extremely difficult to find any privacy on reality TV. And you don't see many people talking about that. So it was really important for me to touch on on this memoir as well. From what I gather in your voice and in the work that you do, you're a very passion-led, heart-led person. Like you are driven, you're creative, you're motivated, you're inspired, you are on the go, but there's such heart behind everything that you do. And it's got to be devastating to have so much of a new audience. Look at that, like how do you walk away from that experience and come back to yourself and like yeah. really, you know, because I feel like for people that are out in the world, whether they want to write a book, whether they are dealing with mental health and trying to find ways to put their feet in front of the other to do what it is they want to do. How were you able to overcome that and really come back to yourself and your creative? That's a great question. I think it all just comes back to doing what you know best. Someone like really special to me told me that recently, just going back to what you know, when all else seems lost. Like I was super upset after the reality show and questioning myself because everyone was just telling me I was a horrible person. And that makes you think you're a horrible person. I came back to self because I came home to New York and I started doing what I know. What do I know? I love riding my Peloton. I love writing, doing things that remind me of who I am. So when I'm going through like an anxious moment, whether it's after the reality show or just, you know, generalized anxiety, 
I just start doing what I know best and that's exercise and writing. Like for me, those two things bring me back center and obviously like traditional therapy techniques, like grounding techniques, you know, mm-hmm. observing your five senses, stuff like that really helps as well. That's powerful. I talk a lot in the conversations that I have about the techniques we use and oftentimes we don't put the weight on the simple things, right? Like finding the things that really bring you joy. For me, in places that I've moved or going through, you know, whether it's city to city, world around the world, you go through these big changes and you go through these personal traumas in life. And the things that have brought me back are finding community, taking walks, you know, finding somebody at the grocery store that's at the grocery store when I go in regularly that I can just like, oh, I'm in my, I'm in my element. These are my people at my grocery store, you know, these little things that connect you and anchor you. I love that, that that was the way that brought you back. What about creatively? Do you feel like you had reservation in being visible in that time period? A little bit. I think there was like a hesitation, like, why am I posting if every single post is just going to get a flood of hate comments? Mm -hmm. But I think that's just what those haters wanted. Like they wanted me to stop creating content. So the best way to combat that is just to keep posting and to post an extra amount. So (laughs) I did that. And then I just dig it in a little bit extra. Like, here you go. And just also like be super creative behind the scenes. So while all this was happening, I was writing that chapter of my book about the reality show. I came home and I said, you know what? We're going to use this for good and we're going to write this chapter and let people know what really went on. And this book might never see the light of day because at the time I didn't have a publisher. I didn't have a book agent, but I wanted to get it out there and I definitely wanted it to be a part of my story turn your pain into passion into helping others and I feel like I can see that theme through your life as well is that you've really taken things that you've been challenged with or had to overcome and helped others you know with your advocacy and with the book and the speaking let's dive into the book it was such a fun read I've said it earlier it was smart and it's also so cute like it was so fun and easy for me to read I can just imagine as someone in their early adulthood as someone in their teens like I was questioning like where was this advice when I was growing up and I'm shouting out to Cosmo and Glamour magazines like the advice that I got was shit and it was all around you know becoming something different from yourself to appease someone externally. And I loved your vulnerability in each of your chapters, but I thought it was so cool that you also incorporated tips for dating and normalizing sort of this evolution of what relationships look like rather than putting this heavy, huge weight of expectation on the first boy you kiss or the way that you feel about something. Talk us through like, what was the impetus for writing this book? Like, how did this come about? So it came about, actually, I was 16 and I'd just gone through my first heartbreak and I just started writing everything down the day of my heartbreak because I was worried about forgetting what it felt like to be in love with someone. And I was scared of losing those memories. So I wrote it down almost in a diary entry, a journal. It was about like eight pages, nothing crazy, and just put it away and didn't look at it. And then during the pandemic, I had a lot of time on my hands. I was really lonely and I kind of wanted to feel that again. So I read it over and I realized that I had a lot more to share. 
So I just started writing everything down that I could remember about love and dating and the lessons that I learned from it. And as I continued to go about these dating experiences, I turned 18, I had a pandemic fling, I exited the pandemic, I had a little wild streak. So kind of all these, all these experiences, it was almost like a pattern. I just kept writing everything down. And I think it was like in the middle of like the time when I was 18, I sent some of them to my friend and I said, these are some personal essays that I want to submit to a Cosmo or 17. <laughs> finally, right? Like finally some good <laughs> advice there. <laughs> and then she said to me, you know, this isn't, this isn't a personal essay. This can actually be a book. This is something that can really help people. So something that started off as self-therapy for me, something to find closure with all of these like, shitty dating experiences turned into something so much greater because I realized that there are books out there written by experts about dating for teenagers, but there's nothing really written by a teenager for other teenagers. And nobody knows teenage dating, especially teenage dating in the digital age in a post-pandemic world and all these weird circumstances we're in right now. Nobody knows that better than another teenager. So I really wanted to step into that role and be that relatable figure for teenagers and be able to level with them because that was kind of missing out there right now. So that was really the goal behind it. And I didn't want to tell people how they should date, who they should date, didn't want to be too dictatorial, but I wanted to share my experiences and let people take what they will from that. Because the best way to learn is through experience. It's not telling people what to do. There are little pieces of advice sprinkled along the way, but ultimately I just wanted to share my experiences and let people take away what they want to take away from it. There were so many moments that I was sort of holding my breath and I'm like, oh, I hope this guy does not fuck her over. Like I was kind of, you know, rooting for yeah. you. And then also I think it was even in the first kiss, you can kind of sense the story building up to like, who is just a playboy, whatever. And I was like, oh man. But something that was so funny was like initially when you were talking about hooking up, I'm like, wait, are they having, it's like the language of hooking yeah. up. So I do like made that little keynote cause it's like in different regions, people are like hooking up is having sex and kissing, you know? And so I'm just like, oh, I'm so glad like you gave yeah. the glossary of terms so that as that language shifts, people can come oh back God, to it. Yes. It was so funny. I would tell people when I was growing up like from out of town, I guess, oh my God, I hooked up with this guy yesterday. And they're like, oh. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like we just, we just like made out. And then, like, oh my God, like you can't do that. So like growing up in New York, making up was just like kissing with tongue. It's just like making out with someone. So right. it was so weird. I had to like define that in one chapter. Like when I think it, it was a chapter when I was like involved with an LA guy. And like, he told me like deliberately, like hooking up means sex. And then like made an allusion to like hooking up with me. And I was like, oh. So you never know. I'm really glad you detailed that. Yeah, because at first I was like, wait, what's going on here? You had such a vulnerability. And also, I just want to give you props. Like you are so direct and straightforward with these guys. Okay. And you no, know, <laughs> you know, and I'm sure as a young woman, you talk about it and share it in the book. Like you have like all the insecurities or like trying to navigate what it feels like. And I feel like even into adulthood it feels like that, like there's the pressure of the unknown expectations. And you even covered that with dating the older guy. I think you were 17, he was like 27. Yeah. And 
I, I dated a 27 year old too when I was like 16. And it does, I love that you're like, you named it. You're like, these are red flags. Like let's yeah. talk about love bombing. Let's talk about, you know, all of these things. Because when I was in that dating situation, my mind eventually was like, wait, what's up with this guy that he's dating? Like a 16 year old, like yeah. where is his mental state? But I loved your mom for that. Yeah. My mom in that situation. So I, at first I wasn't direct with the guy. I was so all for it. It was like right after the pandemic. I was so excited. Like I finally had some attention and I was really blinded to everything in the moment. And I'm the first one to admit that in the book. And I come home from that day and my mom was like, no, <laughs> you can't do that. No. <laughs> I was so mad at her because this is like my first experience post pandemic. Got into a huge fight on Mother's Day and kind of like when the dust settled and I started writing this chapter to make sense of everything. I admit like, yes, it was really hard and the emotions were running high and I was hurt by her, but at the same time, she's my mom and she's always right. So <laughs> you gotta admit that sometimes. Yeah, there, I'm glad she stood up for you in that because I was a little bit of, I wouldn't say a wild dater, but I loved dating around and I loved like exploring different personalities and looking back this was all pre-digital like you know no one yeah. knew where I was or like there was no tracking and I was also studying abroad in a lot of different places and I would meet these guys that were like charming and I'm like oh I love this and then it's such a miracle that yeah that more bad things didn't happen to me you know that I avoided right. so much of the bad things but there's this excitement in being young and exploring the world of dating also so unknown and how to navigate it or how to break things off, how yeah. to stand in your own. And especially, you know, I love that you even pinpointed the conversation we kind of touched on earlier where it's first about you and how you feel, because I think there is, I don't know if it still feels like this, but there was such a narrative of being a woman for someone else. Right. And that's, yeah. that's so scary. But that's kind of the narrative. That's what we saw and see oftentimes in movies. And I think that that narrative is changing, but I'm glad you addressed it really head on. Yeah, I think for so many of these connections, I was chasing love and trying to find someone else to complete me when I just kind of needed to switch that mindset and realize that like the best love is when two individual souls like, come together. Like I'm not completing someone. I'm complete as I am. And I'm coming into a relationship and hopefully they're, they feel that sense of self-confidence as well. And once those two confident individuals come together, that's when you can really soar and raise each other to new levels. That's what the mistake I kept making over and over again is that I was going to these guys that were insecure and that were using me for hookups to make them feel better about themselves. But I was often doing the same. Like I was craving a physical connection and I would let that lead the way. When at the end of the day, like I kind of had to take a step back and realize like, why am I trying so hard to date people and like, just screw around and like have fun all the time. Like it, it became like annoying, like holding my breath, every single like dating app date I went on, I was just holding my breath. Like, will he, won't he, will he, won't me. And I think once I like took a step back and like stood in my truth and realized like, I'm okay as I am that's when like my boyfriend came to me and I didn't have to like chase outwards. I was kind of just like existing and standing there and, you know, messaging a few people on dating apps, but 
okay by myself. And then that's when I really found someone. It's kind of crazy how that works. That's so valuable to hear. And I know that we know that, you know, we understand that, but it's really hard. You keep meeting different people that come in different packages that are showing you your similar wounds. And so until you address your own wounds of why it is that you're showing up, what you're needing, what you're giving to yourself, what you're not giving to yourself, and really where you're allowing your standard to settle, I think that that's when you start to see the shift of, of really who you're willing to be around. And it's a completely different experience for sure. The last chapter of my book, it's called The Journey to Self-Love. So it really is not until that last chapter of my book that I start to look inwards and realize my own worth and that it exists independently of a man. So you hear all the time, you know, you can't love others until you love yourself. To me, I wasn't able to fully love myself until I went through that anxiety experience. And I was able to look myself in the mirror in those low moments and realize that I was still okay and to stand in my truth. So that's, I think I needed to go through that low in order to fully love myself and then in turn love someone else. So you really see that journey throughout the book. Like, I think I'm okay. And I'm, I'm really not like, I, I keep going after the wrong people. Cause that, like deep down, I was just painfully insecure and I just wanted someone to make me feel good about myself. And it wasn't really until the end that I, I was okay alone. Mm -hmm. There was a beautiful chapter in hindsight, you can see that you were attracting other people that were just as wounded and acting out, you know, like ghosting and just running away or moving right. moments of intimacy and just sort of like non-emotion after that. And I think so many of us have been through that. It sucks so bad. Like it's the worst feeling ever. You could be standing right in front of someone and feel even more alone and isolated in their presence. And so I love that you really talk about that and share that. And then it really came back to that self-love for you. Something that I would love for you to kind of share a little bit more about as well is like, you've been really open with sharing your OCD journey and really normalizing that conversation. I very much appreciate that you share that there's so many different components to how OCD might show up for others. Would you share how that looks for you? Yeah. I mean, I was so frustrated that the conversation about OCD is just so like misrepresented right now in the media. Like when I was experiencing these OCD symptoms for the first time, well, not for the first time, for the first time I knew what it was when I was 18, mm -hmm. I was confused because to me, OCD in the media is just excessive cleaning and organization, you know, all those things you see in the movies. We often like joke about having OCD, like organizing things. Being like, oh my God, I'm so OCD. When to some people, it's really like a debilitating mental illness. And I didn't really realize that until I was going through it. And I didn't really understand what it was until I was in therapy. So for me, OCD looks like more mental rumination and compulsion. So I'll obsess over something in my brain and I'll ruminate over it over and over and over again and just be like stuck in like a constant loop and that's kind of like the nature of obsessive compulsion disorder like you obsess over something and then the compulsion is to tell yourself an escape thought to get out of it so you know this thing I'm thinking isn't true because xyz or let me think about the root of this thought that I'm having and just like going down a rabbit hole like compulsively over and over and over again 
when it's really just like filling a cup with a hole in it. So what you really mm. need to do and what I've learned with OCD is kind of to just do nothing. And it, it's so crazy because you feel like it's so heavy and it holds so much weight, but OCD is kind of like trying to mess with you. And it's trying to like kind of eat at you, eat at your brain and like take your attention away from reality when you really kind of just need to let it happen. Like if I always say like, you know, thoughts aren't facts. If I'm thinking to myself right now in the sky is purple, I know that's not true, but I'm thinking something right now that says the sky is purple. So what you're thinking isn't necessarily true. And if I, if that thought pops into my head, I'm able to let it float over me because I know it's not true. So it kind of like doing the same, but for thoughts that are a little more difficult to let float away or sticky because oftentimes those thoughts can be disturbing or, you know, contrary to your character, which is the nature of OCD. You get a thought in your head that isn't who you are, but it disturbs you when you ruminate over it because the thought was there in the first place. So I don't know. All of these things are so not talked about in the media and it's extremely frustrating. And I'm trying to like open the conversation up a little bit because you talk about these things and you, people think that there's something wrong with you. When at the end of the day, this something very real that people are going through. We just don't talk about it enough. I think it's very real for so many people. And in that really expresses itself in so many different ways. I love your vulnerability and bravery in sharing that because there are so many nuances that happen inside of our psyche. Everything that we work on with reframing our subconscious thoughts and our subconscious and awareness really lends back to this. For you, what does that self-care look like? How are you able to really support yourself through that process and elevate yourself out of those loops? So self-care looks different for everyone. I think it's obvious to say like, to direct your energy to something you're passionate about in those moments. It's easier said than done because when those, when those anxiety and OCD moments are really intense. Sometimes those can cause like panic attacks and physical symptoms can really be like debilitating and like affect you from doing things. So when I feel physically okay in those moments, I love to exercise. I love to like sit down and write and like be able to direct my energy towards something positive. I love writing about my anxiety now, even if it's just for me, just because it helps me like talk things through a bit more. And then also just like I mentioned this earlier, practicing self-compassion, realizing that these thoughts will pass if you've been there before, everything is going to be okay. I love surrounding myself with people I love in those moments and just realizing that being around people when I'm not at my best is something really beautiful and like allowing yourself to melt into someone else and let them take care of you. Like you're not a burden mm -hmm. to someone just because you're relying on them when you're low you're just showing them a really important side of yourself. And it takes a really special person to trust, to be able to show that side of yourself. So it's always been for me, my parents, um, now with my boyfriend, I'm very, very lucky that I have someone that I'm able to lean on like that. Cause you know, you look at the relationships in this book and if I ever showed any of these people my anxiety, these dimwits would run away. They wouldn't, <laughs> they wouldn't know what, they meant they wouldn't know what OCD was, I bet. So you got to find someone with the same level of emotional maturity that you're able to rely on in those low moments. That's beautiful that you also bring back to letting other people show up for you because oftentimes when we are going through difficult things, whether in our mental health or whether other traumas that we may be experiencing, it's like the urge is to hide away. The urge is to keep it hidden and tucked in 
which doesn't allow us to really express and heal and move through. And there are so many people that are typically around in support and in love that if you go out and you step into that, you can find those people that love you or want to give to you. And a relationship is a give and receive. It's not just, you know, you giving to another person when you feel your best. It's also in learning to receive their love and letting them love you back. So that's beautiful that you've been able to share that and have that with your family. I feel like that it seems like that has been a really big movement point for you on now stepping up to be an advocate for mental health with others and be a part of nobullying.org. Yeah, I've been working with No Bully since I was a little girl, actually. They're doing great things. They're going into schools and teaching kids from a young age to practice empathy and respect towards one another, which is obviously super important. There's not enough people out there doing it. And I think now, as I've gone through my own like mental health journey, their mission is even more important in my mind because bullying does affect mental health so much. So I just... I love, you know, supporting that cause and elevating it. And you were actually just on a podcast with some friends of mine, excuse my friend with Alexis and Julia. I love them. And I was listening to the conversation and the story that you shared about running into a guidance counselor and no shade to guidance counselors, but my guidance counselor growing up, basically I was struggling in one class because I did not really comprehend the teacher it was a one teacher thing and she said well i really don't feel like you would ever really should go to college or really should move forward it was one class that i was struggling with and i went on to make straight a's and everything so i mean i know there's so much pressure and again no shade to guidance counselors but it is pretty mind-blowing that like the support oftentimes it's needed at those stages in your life it's just, there's still a very big barrier to those conversations. Absolutely. For those listening, basically what happened with my old guidance counselor, I was sitting next to her at the hair salon and I told her, I was like, just like, thank you for what you're doing. Like, just so you realize like, you have a really big responsibility at this high school. If mental health is more important now than ever, like if I had someone like you back in high school and I think it would have really helped like I needed I needed help I needed someone to help me with anxiety like you have a really important responsibility and like you should take advantage of it it was kind of like preaching to her a little bit like telling her like she should step into her role and like not take it for granted and it was as if it like floated right over her head Uh, you know she didn't even acknowledge what I said she didn't acknowledge her responsibility and then she was just like, yeah, congrats on your new book. And like left, like you could tell she was uncomfortable with mm-hmm. the conversation. And I assume she was uncomfortable with the conversation because she knows she's not doing anything to help. No shade to like guidance counselors, but like you do have a responsibility now more than ever to like step into that role and be that rock for kids in school and make them feel like it's okay to come to you. I think there's still such almost like this block of voice with so many people. Like when someone says, I need help, so many people have not dealt with their own issues that it's almost like a freeze point for them. And, you know, unfortunately we see this in roles of therapists and counselors in places where ideally we would want for any conversation around needing help or support or even any symptoms to have that open communication. And it's not always there, which is why it's so invaluable that that 
you're able to share this information and that more and more people and more and more kids and their parents are feeling comfortable and feeling the permission to have these conversations. So thank you so much for joining us. I feel like we could go on to so many, I could share so many of my dating stories. I've had so many crazy ones too. Like rereading this book really brought to light. I was like, oh my gosh, that's right. I forgot about this person (laughs) and this experience and my online dating. So I'll tell you this really quickly before we jump off. When online dating first began, I tried it out and I met three guys online dating. Two I ended up becoming friends with. One was such a nightmare. I'm like, forget it. I'm not doing this again. Like we had a great time. I was in LA living in Beverly Hills and he like, we went out to dinner about a block away from my house and the place closed up early. And I'm like, okay, it doesn't seem like a serial killer. We're just gonna go to my rooftop and finish hanging out, have a conversation. So he needed to stop into my house and go, you know, use the restroom. I was gonna grab some wine. And this guy is peeing with the door open right in front of me. Like as I and I'm like, no, like this is this is like I just met you. Like this is just too much. Like that's too much. Like suddenly I'm really tired. You know, I'm like, oh, you know, like maybe we can reschedule this. Like trying to get this guy out of the door. But there's just so many funny stories and just listening to your escapades and then, you know, it just brought to mind all of these really funny and fun memories. And also so many great tips. I'm just so glad to have you on and have you out there with this incredible book. Like, congratulations again. Yeah, so so exciting. Now, where everybody can get the book, anywhere that books are for sale, but where can everyone connect with you? Yeah, so you can get the book basically on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, Target, anywhere you can get a book. And you can follow me on social media at Carrie Burke on everything. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's just such a pleasure. Congratulations again. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you so much.